You were the one who walked on water And you calm the raging seas You command the highest mountains To fall upon their knees You're the one who welcomes sinners And you open blinded eyes You restored the brokenhearted And you brought the dead to life Forgetting all our sins You remember all your promises You are amazing More than amazing Forever our God You're more than enough You are amazing With authority you've spoken And you set the captives free You're the king who came to serve And you're the God who washed our feet you're the one who took our burdens And you bled upon the cross In your kindness and your mercy You became the way for us Forgetting all our sins You remember all your promises You are more than amazing forever our God you're more than enough you are amazing you're more than amazing forever our God you're more than enough Oh, how marvelous Oh, how wonderful And my song shall ever be Oh, how marvelous Oh, how wonderful Is my Savior's love Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me, is my Savior. more than enough you 
Good morning, Sovereign Grace. Good morning, morning. We have several visitors with us today, being Mother's Day. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, you know, are there any children that need to be dismissed at this time? If they are, they can go. Miss Joy is going to take a few out if they need to go. Otherwise, they uh, others are welcome to stay here in our service. Uh, children are always welcome, but some young ones uh, do need to be in their own place. Will you stand with me and the reverence for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 29. I still hear pages rustling. That's wonderful. So Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them in at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorify the God of Israel. Let's pray. Dear God, we stand in awe of your word as we stand in awe from singing praises to you. You are amazing. And we stand in wonder and awe. But God, many times we don't. And we read in this text that you are speaking to us through this morning that there were Gentiles who stood in wonder. They were just amazed that you, the God of Israel, would come to them. And so God, this morning, as we hear from your word, as you speak to us now, I pray, God, that your spirit would stir within us a sense of wonder and awe, that you would even love us. Lord, let this time be for your glory. Edify our souls, Lord, this morning to come into your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. As we have been coming through this wonderful gospel, but even this chapter 15, this is an important chapter in the gospel of Matthew. Because Matthew now takes us further into Jesus' withdrawal from Galilee. And this will be setting the stage for his time coming into Jerusalem. This withdrawal from Galilee was a short period before his return. He would be ministering in Gentile regions for a brief time, and he would eventually come back to Galilee briefly and then head on to Jerusalem. Jesus withdrew, if you remember, after the Pharisees came and criticized him and his disciples about washing of hands back at the beginning of chapter 15. So Jesus is withdrawing from the Pharisees and the criticism, not running in fear, but withdrawing so that ministry will continue as he plans and designs it. And so now, uh, last week we saw that he is now in a, a Canaanite region, a Gentile region, 
and Ty- of Tyre and Sidon. And now he continues his ministry here in this region. Now, we have to remember that the theme of all of this chapter is the focus on genuine heart of worship of our Lord. Remember, that was the criticism of the Pharisees. They did not worship with a genuine heart. And so Jesus withdrew. And now he is encountering Gentiles and Canaanites who are experiencing his presence and experiencing his, his, his ministry. And their hearts are genuinely coming to the Lord. Now, the, the, from the pharisaical distortion of the Mosaic law all the way now to the end of the chapter in this pagan and Gentile region, the religious culture of this Gentile region was pagan. And Jesus shows us in his chapter that God is more interested in the hearts of sinners and he's more interested in the genuine faith than the traditions of men. Would you agree? That these traditions also included man-made understandings of who God is over God's self-revelation of himself, even through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis here. Now, some historical context in the last half of chapter 15, I think, is going to help us grasp the bigger meaning of, of the mercy that Jesus pours out on these Gentiles. In verses 25 through 28, if you remember last week, the persistent pleas of this Canaanite mother, and in Mark chapter 7, she's referred to as the Syrophoenician woman. This persistent plea, it's indicative of the Sidonian culture that this woman came from. In other words, the people group that she was from, the nation's region that she was from, that was their way of dealing with things. They were persistent, annoyingly so, until they got their way. That was part of their culture. Y'all ever know anybody like that? Most notably, I think we find... In the Old Testament, we find a Sidonian woman from this region who interacted with the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, same thing. And then a Shunammite woman of another Canaanite culture also interacted with the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4, same thing. So it was cultural practice for these Gentiles to plead with the prophets and that they would never take no for an answer. So we see an Old Testament precedence here that Jesus is now encountering in this region. I mean, we also see in the Old Testament tradition that Jewish religious leaders did the same thing. They persisted with God for rain in the same manner. And even in Genesis chapter 18, it also tells us that Abraham interceded for any righteous person remaining in Sodom before God destroyed the city. So this persistence was there. But let's not overlook the teaching of our Lord, though. Remember back in Matthew chapter 6, concerning the proper heart and attitude in prayer, Jesus forbade vain repetition. He forbade empty phrases in prayer. The Gentiles thought that God would hear them better if they would just repeat the prayer over and over and over. And they thought that God would show them favor if they pestered him over and over and over. And Jesus taught, no, it's not your persistence that I'm responding to. It's your heart. We got to remember that. The piety of the Jewish hypocrites 
Remember, they even had them, they would stand on the public streets, pounding their chest and repeating their pleas before God over and over and over. And and it was back in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus teaches us about prayer. He says that these prayers are not heard. All this is laying the groundwork here because now in Matthew 15, Jesus is in this region where this is occurring naturally in the culture. Persistence to the point of God must hear us if we just keep pleading. Likewise, the persistence, the persistence of the people of Canaan in this region, this is really the region of the Decapolis, uh, the region near Galilee, uh, the ten cities. The ten cities were known for their vile and pagan customs. They were outside of the Jewish tradition. They were outside of the region of the holy. And yet Jesus, as he comes into this region, remember, he's, he's withdrawing from the Pharisees and the hypocrites, and he's going to this pagan Gentile region. And as he's there, Jesus himself was persistent in healing the sick and restoring the sight to the blind and adhering to the deaf while he was there. All of Matthew 15, I think, teaches the importance of the cleansing of the heart over the importance of ritual and form. Jesus' ministry in these Gentile regions here, I think it emphasizes that the kingdom of heaven that he is proclaiming is less a place and more a power. That's a good way to think about the kingdom of heaven. A power poured out on those called into the kingdom. Jesus, he calls the heart as he cleanses the heart, not just the hearts of the Jewish elite who obeyed the law or the Jewish people of God who were faithful in their sacrifices, but Jesus calls the heart, he cleanses the heart, the hearts of all nations, all peoples, all who are humble in the sight of God. That is who Jesus calls. The humility of the heart is what he's looking for here. And that's what we're going to see in today's text. Now, the miracles that this text tells us about, these were witnessed by these Canaanite uh, Gentiles. And and later next week, we're going to look at the feeding of the 4,000. Both of these are found here in Matthew 15, but also Mark chapter 7 and 8. If you're taking notes, I encourage you this week, compare what you're reading in Matthew 15 with Mark's account in chapter 7 and 8. Very similar accounts, but just a few more details there. Now, now, common to all four Gospels was this idea of the meal tradition, right? Breaking of the bread. So all of this is leading into the feeding of the 4,000 next week. The food was shared with all who were present without any boundaries, without any test for purity, no litmus test of you're welcome here or you're not. All who were following Christ in his ministry here, who were listening to his teaching, witnessing his miracles, all who were coming to him humbly and in awe were there. That's who were welcome. The importance here of Matthew 15 is that Christ himself, he calls all people under the power of this kingdom of heaven. No religious test is required. No expectations of purity, no expectations of cleanliness, or no expectations of holiness was anything that Jesus was mentioning or requiring here. He just was ministering to the people. 
regardless of... That's what we're seeing here, the fact that he was in this Gentile region. The miracles that he's performing here are the same miracles and the same ministry that he was doing with the Jewish people. No difference. And that communicates a lot. Jesus only seeks the humility of the heart. And we see on Wednesday nights as we've been teaching through the book of James, in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, it's God who gives more grace to the humble. That more grace being the salvation, saving grace. Now, Matthew 15, let's look here at verse 29. This passage, I think it gives us a a deeper glimpse into Jesus' ministry in this Gentile region. Look here at verse 29. It says here that Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat there. Does this sound familiar? Remember we were back in Matthew chapter 14? Same thing. Jesus did the same thing there, very common. What Matthew is doing here is he's showing us that that Jesus' ministry uh, expanded and was often repeated in the same way in different places. Very common. This verse is similar to Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus, if you remember, he following the news of the death of John the Baptist, Jesus withdrew to a quiet place, a desolate place by himself. But even there in Matthew 14, the crowds followed him from the nearby towns. You see the same thing happening here in Matthew 15, verse 30? Same thing. But these were Gentiles, Canaanites mostly. Now, the compassion of Jesus upon the mostly Jewish crowds back in Matthew 14 is now expressed upon the mostly Gentile, the mostly Canaanite crowd. Same act of mercy and compassion. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, signs and miracles occurred primarily in Judea and in Galilee. He's mostly there. But it's the focus on faith that is the same in both people groups. That's the thing we got to remember. Now, look at back in chapter uh, 15, go up to verses 8 and 9. This is what, you could, I could argue that this is the theme of all of chapter 15. Verses 8 and 9 say this. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's the theme, I think. That's a, that's a key point here in the whole chapter. Because people will honor God with their lips. They will honor God with their actions but their hearts are distant. And Jesus is pointing this out by showing who are distant and who are close. It is those whose hearts were humble, those whose hearts were craving and and just desiring the presence of the Lord. Those were the ones that Jesus responded to more intently. He, Those were the ones he responded to with compassion and mercy. It was the ones whose hearts were arrogant and prideful that he chastised and cast away. Now, Jesus points out that the hearts of sinful men are far from him. They are distant from the Father. And it's for the hearts that Jesus comes. It's in the heart where God meets the sinner. That's where he meets us. But but to get there, to grasp what the, the, the hearts of men, Jesus knows that the needs of the body must also be met. These Gentiles witness the glory of God through the ministry of Jesus' signs and his miracles to the body. Now, let, let's pause here for a minute. Notice here that 
Jesus is taking care of physical needs. Jesus comes in a particular place, in a particular time, physically, in history and in place. Jesus is not a, a, a ghost that somehow speaks to people in their dreams here. He does that now. I mean, now after his resurrection as ascension, people do hear from God, from Christ in their dreams, especially in the Muslim world. We're seeing a lot of that. We can't avoid that truth. But when Jesus in the Gospels is ministering, he's here. He's in the physical here and now. He's ministering to the body as well as to the soul. That's not insignificant. Because when God created all things, He created the heavens and the earth, He also created physical matter and human beings and animals and birds and trees and all of this is part of His creation. And Jesus is here. He knows that the soul and the body are intertwined. They are not two separate things. They are sep- They are two unique things, but all working together as a unique whole. Notice the language here in verse 30 that Matthew uses to describe the healing miracles. The Gentile crowds, they bring to Jesus their family and their friends. Look at verse 30. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them what? The lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet. They were coming with their physical problems. They who were lame, those who were blind, those who were crippled, those who were unable to speak. And I like this last category and many others. So if you felt left out with that list of being lame, being blind, being crippled, being able to speak, you say, well, Jesus, I don't have any of those problems. He may not love me. So I like this last category. Just put it into the many others. You see that? Imagine the numerous physical needs of the people in this time. This was an ancient time. Hunger, leg pain, eye disease, leprosy. The list is unlimited. Remember that. Now, we tend to forget in our modern age of medicine and health that the condition of humanity is anything but healthy. Would you agree? The normal condition of humanity is desperation, destitution, death, disease. That's normal in our fallen condition. Yet we are blessed that we have health. We are blessed that we have medicine, that we have science, that we have air conditioning. Amen. We forget The normal condition of the human body is everything that's listed here in verse 30. Imagine the numerous physical needs here. But notice that what Jesus does here for these Gentiles. He healed them. In other words, Jesus does for these Gentiles who were following Him and listening to Him and, and, and seeing something unique... Jesus does for these Gentiles the same that he does for the Jewish hypocrites. Those who were humble were healed. Jesus meets the physical needs because he sees the humility of the heart. 
Matthew's account shares both the ministry to the body and the ministry to the soul. The same ailments of the body, I think, reflect the ailments of the soul. How many of us in our spirit are lame? How many of us in our spirit are blind? How many of us in our spirit are crippled? How many of us in our spirit are unable to speak? And then the category and many others. Just lump it all. That's that's why we're seeing the physical healings here because it clearly and directly points also to the spiritual ailments. Both are intertwined. Notice here in verse 31. As Jesus healed them, what is the response of the people? Look at verse 31. So that the crowd, what? Wondered. Wondered. So that the crowds wondered when they saw these miracles, when they saw Jesus, they wondered. How many of y'all felt that about our Lord lately? Are we too busy to wonder? Are we too complacent and lazy in our Christian life to wonder? These Gentiles wondered. Matthew's choice of words indicates that Jesus healed so that they wondered. You see that in verse 31? His word, he healed them so that the crowd wondered. This was not an accident. This was not a, a, what, a, a, just a plan B byproduct. Jesus knew what he was doing. He came to minister to the body and the soul. He ministered to the body so that the crowds wondered at what they saw. The wonder at healing of the tongue, wonder at the restoration of health for the crippled and the ability to walk for the lame and sight for the blind. Jesus did this for a purpose. Now imagine what wonder does. Why wonder? It's wonder that opens the heart to the unseen truth. It, It is wonder that opens the mind to the impossible. It's wonder that accompanies faith. See, we want, to, we want to know so much about God's Word that, let's just be honest, Reformed-minded Christians, let's think about this. We love studying God's Word, as we rightly should, but do we get so detailed in the grammar and the syntax and, and that we forget the wonder of it all? Do we even ponder the impossible anymore or do is our modern scientific mind so trained with absolute certainties and facts and measurements that we have lost the reality that there are things that God does that are impossible the wonder of it all wonder accompanies faith and faith is at the center of this chapter remember Jesus is calling the faithful. And it's the wonder that accompanies the faith. You struggle with what is this faith? How do I trust the Lord? And we want to calculate, okay, what do I have to think? What do I have to say? What what 
check mark do I have to go through? What list do I have to do in order for God to love me? No, the only thing that Jesus is doing here, he's doing all this, he's healing them, he's teaching them so that they wondered. That's amazing. Wonder is, he, he did these things, he taught these things that normal men would or could not do. How many people do you know that just goes up to somebody and says, okay, you're blind, now you can see. Okay, you, you have a hard time hearing, boom, now you can hear. Oh, you can't walk today, boom, once you get up and you're fine, go. How many of us know somebody, man cannot do that. Jesus does this. He does what normal men cannot do or would do. Wonder is on account of this strangeness of Jesus. This holy man, this God man, because he goes beyond what mortal beings do. When the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the mute are restored to their speech, this is unusual and beyond normal. So they wonder. When the crowd saw this, they were astonished. And also by Jesus' grace, these miracles were preordained to be destined in order that they moved the mortal souls of these Gentiles to amazement and faith. Jesus didn't do this by accident. Thus, the point of signs and wonders is to first care for the physical needs of the body so that the greater spiritual needs for the soul can be realized and fulfilled. That's why Jesus does this. Now, let's look here at the end of verse 31. So that the crowd wondered... When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and underline this in your Bible, and they glorified the God of Israel. This is Gentile expression of gratitude. They glorified the God of Israel. It's not just that they glorified God. The phrase God of Israel is important because these were Canaanite Gentiles who were not in the fold. They recognized the God of Israel was among them. We see Jesus' gentleness and his kindness to the distressed and the, and the, the, the sick and the lame in this passage. And the result of this is that God's glory is restored and is shown to all nations, not just the chosen nation of Israel anymore. This was part of the gospel plan. Now, now the chosen are the humble in spirit who actually wonder at Jesus' great nature, at his gentleness and his kindness. That was so opposite to the vile nature of their fallen world. That alone, if you experience Christ's gentleness and his mercy and his kindness, is that not enough to cause you to wonder? Is that not normal? Would you all agree? Rhonda and I witnessed uh, I thought was going to be a shootout on Spring Street Friday night in front of the Dairy Queen. That don't happen in Cookville. Two people were at road rage right in front of the Dairy Queen. One person was doing one thing and another person was doing another thing and they were both mad at each other and they got out of their cars on Spring Street. We witnessed it. I was waiting for the guns. Didn't happen. But that's an example of we know that the world is not kind or gentle. 
What did these Gentiles witness? They witnessed all these miracles, but above all, they saw Jesus' mercy upon them. And they wondered. Because they were ignorant of the goodness of God who visited His people because the Gentiles wondered at why God was present among them. Because you know what they had always been told? You don't belong. God doesn't want you. He's chosen us. Now, part of that was part of the Mosaic Law. God does, in the Mosaic Law, have strict guidelines for those who are in the nation of Israel and those who are outside of the nation of Israel. But even in that, you realize that God actually said, you have to have room within you, my people, to welcome the sojourner from outside to bring them in. The Gentiles here would have been misled by the Pharisees. Remember, they were the, they were the problem here at the beginning of chapter 15. They would have been misled by the religious elite feeling left out, clearly unwanted. But Jesus showed them things that they wanted, that they desired to see, not just the physical healings, but more so Jesus showed them the divine presence of the Father in heaven. God himself was amongst them. The misleading of the Pharisees, the legalism that distorted God's will, and the pagan sacrifice. Notice these were pagans. These were Canaanite Gentiles. They worshiped pagan gods. This misleading and, and, and all of this and, and the pagan worship, all of this were satanic devices to distance all people from God's presence if he could get away with it. The wisdom of God was destroyed by foolish people and foolish leaders. And Jesus is coming to restore it. Therefore, here in verse 31, the glory of God that Jesus has made possible to see those to hear, to speak, to walk, also to be healthy. For these were the signs of life that God alone could give and no one else could give. That's why these Gentiles were standing in awe. And they were amazed. Remember, remember the prophet Isaiah that gave the theme to Jesus' admonishment back in Matthew chapter 13? Remember the parables? Matthew 13, there was a common theme there in Matthew 13, the idea of the blind and the deaf. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Notice these Gentiles, they saw God's glory. They perceived that God was among them. Now these Gentiles saw and they believed, they heard and obeyed because their wonder saw the glory of the God of Israel amongst them. They saw the God of Israel revealed to them. The Gentiles suffered the curse of Satan in a way unique from the chosen children of Israel because Satan darkens the glory of God by rendering humans blind to the Spirit, by muting them to the confession of truth. That Satan and his demons, they, they make lame those who spiritually walk with the Lord so that they can't. And, and, and all this deafens the truth of God's commandments to the ears and weakens the spiritual strength of all people. So Christ here, what's he doing? Jesus is the restorer of God's glory. 
In verse 31, they glorified the God of Israel. Why? Because Jesus is restoring the glory here. He's doing it amongst the humble. He makes the mute able to speak and, and sing praises to God, their creator. Jesus, he makes the deaf able to hear the beautiful sound of God's voice. And he makes the blind to see the beauty of God's glory. Jesus is doing this. He restores the health of the spiritually sick to a place of divine wonder and even a healthy relationship with the Father. This glory is seen by these blind Gentiles. And these Gentiles, they praise God by more so, and they and they abandon the Pharisaical ritual. They are abandoning, we, we don't have the detail, but I could assume they glorified the God of Israel. And I would say a lot of them abandoned their pagan worship. This glory is seen here by the Gentiles. Now, now Matthew helps us to see that this message of the kingdom of heaven, remember, is not the establishment of a new place, but instead it is a power that is poured into the hearts of the humble. Not a power to do whatever you want for yourself. It is the power to see God's glory and to witness His grace. All nations, all peoples will experience this wonder in the glory of the Lord because there's a divine truth that only Jesus can instill here through the Holy Spirit that restores all sinful hearts through faith from the heart. That's what Jesus is doing here. And to get to that, Jesus is dealing with the physical ailments in order so that he can then take care of the spiritual ailments that disease the heart. You see that? Now notice this here. I'm going to close with this thought. In this text, what we're seeing here, from this and now into the feeding of the 4,000, what Matthew is beginning to show us here is that in Jesus' ministry, there was a significant ministry to the Gentiles. Before then, the only chosen were the nation of Israel. God's people. The ones he rescued out of slavery in Egypt who took them through the, pro, uh, the wilderness to the promised land. You remember all that story. They conquered the Canaanites to establish Israel. And now Jesus is here saying, you know what? The bigger plan all along was this. I'm calling all nations, all people. The elect are now all humble hearts, regardless of nation or creed. Humble hearts, not nationality. Not status like the Pharisees. Humble hearts. It doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what language you speak. Doesn't matter what food you eat. Doesn't matter what clothes you wear. Doesn't matter what kind of money you use. If your heart is humble, the Lord calls you to His grace and His presence. He pours it out upon the humble regardless of background or even ideology. That's a big thing. Wait a minute, you mean Democrats can actually receive God's grace if they're humble? I'm going to let, I want you to ponder that for a minute. 
I've known pastors got fired for saying that kind of stuff, but can't ignore it. You're safe here. Thank you. <laughs> because remember, what's the point of Matthew 15? It's not ideology. It's not political affiliation. It's not your nationality. It's not your language. It's not your position or your political status or your social status. It is the humility of the heart. Jesus' compassion here is laid out for all who are destitute. It's laid out for the destitute, humble hearts so that He can restore the glory of the presence of the Father in heaven amongst His faithful. Amen. Next week, we're going to get into the feeding of the 4,000. How many of y'all remember or even knew that there were two miraculous feedings in the Gospels? Very few people realize that there's the feeding of the 5,000, and now we're getting into the feeding of the 4,000. We're going to get into that next week. Y'all ready for that one? Nathan, come on forward, buddy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, this, this, this passage of Matthew's Gospel is so important for us to hear And I thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we do absolutely nothing to earn your grace. You pour out your grace upon the humble. We can't make ourselves humble either. You show us what humility is. Your spirit softens our hearts. Your spirit breaks us so that we look up to you. For that, Lord, we're grateful. As these Gentiles, these Canaanites, they witnessed the miraculous ministry of your son. They heard his great teachings. They saw his kindness and they saw his compassion. Lord, the same for us. We please show us your mercy upon us so that we see your grace possible and so that we see our depravity and our brokenness in relation to you. I pray, God, that we would wonder, that we would wonder at your glory, that we would no longer be tied up in our own misery, in our own thoughts, in our own decisions, and Lord, just cause us to just quit on ourselves and forget our own power and to just prostrate ourselves at your feet. These Gentiles brought all of their sick and all of their family and their friends who were in need, they brought them to the feet of Jesus. And He poured out His mercy upon them so that He could then pour out His grace. Lord, do the same for us. Cause us to see Your compassion so that it breaks us, so that we are humble before You and we trust and believe in You. Use this time for your glory, Lord. Speak into the hearts of any in this room who need to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.